I'm, uh, I'm a student of history. How many of you here like history? I, I read quite a few history books, as many of you know. I've, I've spoken of that before. I'm just finishing up one right now um, that uh, I'm actually rereading on Peter the Great. Peter the Great was um, a Tsar of Tsar, I got to make sure I get that right, Tsar, T-S-A-R, of Russia in the 1700s. And um, when you read the stories of these royals from way back in history, you realize that um, there were a lot of messed up royal families. Like, really messed up royal families over history. Um, Peter had this thing that he did that um, he... um, he asked his, his father for uh, um, some toy soldiers that he could play with. But his toy soldiers weren't toys. They were people. He actually had a group of about four or 500 people who were on call for him every day so that he could arrange battles in this one part of his, his, uh, the, the palace. And he did. He arranged battles, and people were seriously wounded during these battles. Like, things happened that were pretty crazy. And you read stories of other royals, and you find out that they... they they killed their parents. They poisoned their parents. Or they, um, you know, got married to their, like, not just first cousin, but even sometimes, like, their half-sisters. Like, you realize that the history of a lot of royal families is really weird and crazy. When we look into the scriptures of the Bible, we find out that that's actually part of the story of God's people, too. And this morning, we want to spend some time with one particular king, uh, the king of Judah for a time. His name was Asa. And this is a guy who, his family is a little crazy, but he actually tries to break the pattern of crazy and live into some really good things. How many of you are trying to break the pattern of crazy in your families? I know that we have a pattern of crazy in my family. And you see in the story of Asa this morning just how hard it is sometimes to break that pattern. But when you do it, and when you have the, 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 the Spirit of God in you that empowers you to change crazy, the blessing that comes because of it. That's what we're going to be learning about this morning. As we dig into God's Word, let's pray together that God might be present in His proclamation. Father, Your Word is powerful, and we trust You to do Your work this morning in us. We pray, Father, that You meet us in Your Word, that through this story of this this King Asa, that we can hear, Father, what it means to live a passionate, Spirit-filled life. And when we do that, Lord, when we break patterns of behavior, not only in our family's life, but in our own lives, what happens because of that? The blessing that comes when we fully and completely follow Jesus. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you meet us in the power of your word, that you bless our time here, and that truly, Lord, we can go away um, feeling that longing, that desire to follow you more deeply more completely, more fully in all that we are. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be reading from chapter 15. If you're trying to find it in your Bibles, it's maybe about, it's less than a quarter of the way in from the front. 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel is just before that, so if you're looking for it, that's where you're looking. And we're going to begin reading this morning at verse 9 and um, start with 9 through 15 from God's Word. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Mekah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother Mekah from her position as queen mother because she made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he that he and his father had dedicated. So we start with the story of Asa. And if you're looking in um, the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you're going to find out it's story of king after king after king after king. And it's the story of really beginning with Saul, then you had David, and then you had Solomon. It's the story of when the the kingdoms divided right after Solomon. We'll look at that in a second. Um, All these different kings and all the different stuff that happened with these kings for the next several hundred years. And in during that time, um, you're always going to see in the story one of two things. You're going to see what we see here that um, it says... Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. If you look actually just before that, you're going to see Abijah, his father, was the king. And what does it say? He committed all the sins. What is that in verse 3? He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. So this king Asa doesn't come from the best of families. His family actually has a legacy of godlessness, not only his father Abijah, but even going back one more generation, his grandmother. And so this guy, um, if you think about it, is trying to, um, by living a life fully committed to the Lord, he's figuring it out on his own because he doesn't have any patterns of that in his family. He certainly has heard of his great, 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 great great-grandfather David, but he's never seen that pattern of behavior. So for him to live fully and completely committed to the Lord, it says that, fully committed to the Lord, would take not only the presence of God in a powerful way, but also great courage, especially when you see what he does. He gets rid of all the male shrine prostitutes, which the reason that they were there as a part of temple worship was because that was an idea of how you would worship different idols. You would worship through your sexuality, which I don't quite understand that in terms of a, a time of gathering for worship. It's certainly um, startling to think about, but imagine if that's what you're used to, and then all of a sudden the king says, no more of that. 
And no more of these other things where you have idol worship. He's really rattling the cages of Israel. He's trying to clean house. And he's cleaning house enough that he's actually including his grandmother with it. Like, she sets up this idol and she does this, makes this thing. We don't know really know, know what it is. But she makes this thing for idol worship. And he says, get rid of it and also get rid of her. He's really trying to live into a pure and holy life. But it isn't easy. And there's a reason that we know it isn't easy. Look at verse 14 again. It says this. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. And if you don't understand what that means, it means that there were high places in Israel that were actually committed to the worship of other idols. And there were people who would come to the Asherah poles. You see that word in here. Asherah is a god that they would worship. And Baal was another god that they would worship. And Asa doesn't knock down those high places because it's really hard when you're in a position of power to live into full godliness. In fact, isn't it hard to live into godliness with just a regular life? Right? I mean, how many of us would say that we're 100% godly? None of us, right? And it's a challenge to try to live a godly life. Give, let me give you an example. Um, and it's not about godliness. It's more about diet. Um, how many of you are on the diet right now? Any of you? I am. Like there's some of you that are constantly diet, dieting. I'm on a diet right now. It's called the keto diet. I've lost quite a bit of weight because of it. But here's the problem. The keto diet means that I'm not supposed to eat carbs. Does anybody know where you get most of your carbs? Sugar. Most of your carbs, most of all of our carbs are from sugars. And sugars can show up in a lot of places. They can show up in potatoes and pasta and breads. They can also show up in Oreo cookies. And here's my big problem. I have a 90% success rate with the keto diet because I am. Yesterday morning, Kristen and I and the kids, we were, we were um, down in Oceanside and we went out to breakfast and I had this wonderful omelet. And this omelet came with meat and vegetables and onion. It was just cheese. It was just really good. And it was perfectly keto. But here's the problem. They also give you a side, right? And at this particular place, they give you coffee cake. And it's not quite Carolyn's coffee cake because let's be honest here, very few things are like Carolyn's coffee cake. But this particular coffee cake still looked good. And so they set it in front of you and the idea that was that I would get it with my order, but then I would give it to one of my kids so I wouldn't eat it. And I didn't. But oh baby, I wanted to. I mean, I really wanted to. And then what happened was, actually, Kristen and the kids are still down there. They're coming home later today. I came home yesterday, and I got home. And because I didn't have coffee cake, you know what I deserved? Oreo cookies. Because I didn't have that sugar there, I get this. And the problem is, as soon as I live into that lack of faithfulness with that 10%, there's a problem. Because suddenly, my diet isn't worth what it would be 
otherwise. And godliness is like that too. Because we can live 90% godly lives, but oh, that 10% can kill us sometimes, doesn't it, right? I mean, you think about some of the things. How, how many of you are struggling with a sin that you've been struggling with for 20 or 30 years? Anger. Gossip. Maybe you, you've got impure thoughts that are a part of your legacy. Maybe you've got other things that you struggle with. And that 10%, even 5%, even 1% seems to take away all the joy from the rest of our godliness. It's hard to live, as we see here in the Scriptures, fully committed to following Jesus. And yet, that's what God calls us towards. And we ask daily for the Spirit to come. Come and fill us with your power and your presence, O God, so that we might live godly lives. And that's what Asa is seeking to do here. And we see that it's a struggle because he's even trying to live into godliness in a fight with his own people. Verse 16 says this, there was a war between Asa and Basha, king of, what, what is he the king of? Israel. Who are the Israelites? This is God's people. So God's people are fighting God's people. That seems a little crazy, doesn't it? Throughout their reigns, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. We look at that story, and yes, you're reading it right. God's people are fighting God's people, and they're divided into two kingdoms. In fact, Asa is the third generation since the kingdom split. If you want to go back, you can, a couple pages before in the book of 1 Kings, and you're going to see how the split happens. It happens immediately after Solomon. God's people start to fight, and they fight. What do they fight over? They fight over two things. They fight over power, and they fight over money. And because they're consumed by power and money, instead of being, what's the word here we see in the scriptures, fully committed to God, the kingdom becomes a mess. And it does for generations to come. It never becomes reunited. It's always the kingdoms of Judah and Israel because God's people move away from being fully and completely committed to him. And this is what happens to us too when we get focused on other things. When we start to step into other places where we worship something else, power or money or experience or families or relationships or other things that take us away from God. And in those things taking us away from God, that's the 10%, that's the Oreo cookie. And the problem is, is that the Oreo cookie has great power in our lives, doesn't it? And in, in us living into that thing, that other thing besides being fully committed to God, all of a sudden our testimony becomes, becomes lukewarm, if not downright antithetical to what a Christian should be. I mean, remember, these are God's people and this is, they're surrounded by others who know that they are God's people. And all of a sudden now they're fighting. What sort of testimony is that about who God really is? 
When God's people get distracted into other things, we, they, their testimony becomes watered down. And in fact, sometimes it even shows exactly who God is not. Let's continue reading verse 18. It says that there, Asa then took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace. He entrusted it to his officials and sent them to Ben-Hadad, son of Tibbakai, and the son of Hezion, the son of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between you and me, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you a gift of silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. He conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makkah, and all Kinnereth, in addition to Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and withdrew to Terzah. Then King Asa issued an order to all Judah. No one was exempt. And they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using there. With them, King Asa built up Geba and Benjamin and also Mizpah. Okay, there's a couple things going on here. They have this fight. Israel's having this fight. But Israel... um, Asa's king of Judah, Israel is in an alliance with another king, and Asa figures, okay, I can probably stop this war if I ask that other king, if I live into um, creating a new alliance with this other king who will then weaken Israel and my position and the position of Judah will be better. And you look, and it is, there's no way around it, right? It's a bribe. He's sending him a bribe. But what's interesting is what the bribe is. It's silver and gold from the temple. Okay? Now, I want you to walk through this. You see it a little bit earlier in the passage. It says that that Asa took all that stuff from his own house and put it back in the temple. This was gold and silver that his father had taken away for his own purpose. Because why? He was living into a passion for power and money. And Asa said, no, I want to live into giving God all that I have, full and complete generosity. This is not mine. This is the Lord's brings it into the temple. But then he thinks, okay, I need to do this other thing with this king. And in a sense, send him, he calls it a gift, right? I'm going to send him a gift. And in sending that gift, I hopefully will get peace for my people. And he says to the king this, he says, I send you a gift. That's actually not really true because Asa is sending the king everything. What does it say? Let's read it again. It says this. It says this there. Let's see here. He took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace. So what he is saying is, money doesn't mean anything to me. None of that stuff, the idol of all this wealth and greed, it means nothing to me. You know what means everything to me? Following God fully and completely and being a ruler of my people who seeks peace. 
So he is willing to fully and completely give up this idol that his father had followed and saying, I'm going to do it differently, gives this gift, this bribe, and ultimately what happens? There's this huge blessing that comes. Not only does, is there peace for his kingdom, but all the people then go and tear down the, the stuff that the king of Israel was building in order to fortify himself against Judah. He goes over there and he says, okay, people, take all that stuff, and it's not mine, it's not the king's, it's yours. You can have it. You can now take all this other stuff that was set up as a power against me and in my kingdom and against us, and you can take it into your own homes. He's not saying, I want this. He's not saying, I need this, because he's fully and completely committed to God. And we see what happens because of all this. Verse 23. As for all the other events of Asa's reign, all his achievements, all he did, and the cities he built, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah in his old age. However, his feet became diseased. Then Asa rested with his ancestors and was buried with him in the city of his father David. And Jehoshaphat, that's a scary word to say, his son succeeded him as king. Okay, so the story of Asa's reign, it's actually a pretty simple story. Again, these are, have heard a sermon on Asa before? These are sort of the strange characters from the scripture. But look what happens because of Asa's life. Go to the back, go to the end of 1 Kings. Go to the very end. And you're going to see a quick story about Jehoshaphat. And what is it going to say about Jehoshaphat? It says this in chapter 22. Let's see what it's, where it says it exactly. Verse 43. In everything, he followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is a simple king, a simple small little story about a king who lives into a much bigger legacy. Jehoshaphat, his son, is a king who follows God. And during that whole time that Asa and Jehoshaphat are king, there is peace. Why? Because he's fully and completely following God. The blessing comes. And it's not just a blessing for now. It's a blessing for the future. It's a blessing for the next generation. And isn't that our longing, friends? Isn't that something that we hope for? That we can live into a legacy of faith that not only blesses us in where we are right now, but then also blesses us as we look forward to the future, to the next generation, to those who come after us. In fact, when we think even about the history of this church, this church is over a hundred years of ministry in Redlands, and we live on the shoulders of that legacy of faith, of people who were committed to following Jesus then, and they're blessing then is something that we continue to experience now. What are you living into? 
What is it that you and I are blessing into the next generation? Is there faithfulness? Is there godliness? Is there the power of the Holy Spirit that we know because of the work of Jesus Christ in our life? Are we living into that to our next generation? One of the great blessings of me being up here and blessing these kids is looking into the legacy that walks out the door every Sunday morning when those kids go out to children's ministry. Thinking and praying that God might through the work of us as parents, us as a community, me as a pastor, all of us individually, that God might bless that legacy. And those kids, how many of us long for those kids 20 years from now to be following Jesus? We long for that, right? In fact, I know that there are some parents and grandparents that their greatest lament in life is not the job that they took or the money they have or don't have, not where they live, whatever. It's because their, their lament is before their children or their grandchildren because they're not following Jesus. We long for that. But what does it take? We see in Asa what it took. Fully and completely committed. Fully following Jesus. He didn't have Oreo cookies. He lived into emptying the treasury because he wasn't concerned about money or the, the, the prestige or the wealth. Other kings certainly did. He, didn't, he gave everything in order to live into a legacy of peace. It's being fully and completely committed to following Jesus. How many of you are fully and completely committed to following Jesus? I hope you are. And if you're not, come, let's talk about what that means. I would love to meet with you over ice cream, which I shouldn't have. And if I do have one, don't tell my wife or I'll come after you. Over ice cream, let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus fully and completely. Because out of that comes blessing. Years ago, I stumbled across this, and I don't know how, uh, I, I can't confirm the story of it, but here's what I heard when I first read it. I don't know that it's true, and if some of you know that it's different, please correct me. I would love to be corrected on, that, on this. That there was a missionary who was in the field, and he died in the mission field. He had been out in the, the field for a very long time. He died in the mission field. And when the people who were a part of the ministry that supported him came and got some of his things and gathered up some of his things, they found something in all of his books and his writings um, that they brought home about what it means to be part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And this is a statement that he made at the time that really um, gave uh, a shape and an understanding of what this person what it meant to this person to follow Jesus as a missionary, what it meant to share the gospel, what it meant to be passionately and fully committed to following Jesus. He wrote these words. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished, 
and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. That's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. That's a person who has said, I am fully committed and I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to empty the bank account. I'm willing to give it all. I'm willing to get really, really tired, really, really worn down for the sake of Jesus. I'm willing to get calluses on my hands. I'm willing to stay up late I'm willing to work hard. And I'm willing to be loved by God fully and completely so that I might then love others. Friends, this is not a person who's eaten Oreo cookies and is following a Jesus. And for you and I, as we go into the week ahead, may we understand, may we be challenged This is not something that you and I can do in our own power. We don't have this capacity, but for us to pray, for us to long, for us to open our hearts and be willing to give to God everything that we have. It's His call on our lives, and we ask that the Spirit does it, that He might equip us to go into the world and show the world Jesus. That's our call. That's living like this King. That's living, being part of the unashamed. The fellowship of the unashamed. Let's go out of here. Let's go and live into that. Let's do so with the strength of the Holy Spirit. But we ask Him to do it, and when He calls, we're willing to go where it is that He wants us to go. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this story of Asa, a person who is fully committed to following you with all of his heart. He was willing to give up the bank account. He was willing to give up himself. He was willing to live into a different legacy than what he had been given from his family. He was willing to, before the world, look different than what the world usually looks like. 
Father, give us that sort of courage. Give us that sort of passion. Lord, may we know the Holy Spirit's power in living into that. May we be a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. People who passionately, fully, and completely follow you. Follow Jesus. And then, Lord, we can see the blessing, not just now, but also in generations to come. Equip us to that end because, Lord, you're the only one who can do it. We pray that you do it in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.